This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. What's good, everybody? It's Sunday, October 1st. It is the beginning of the fourth quarter of the year, which will decide how investors remember 2023. I'm Dion Rabowin for The Wall Street Journal, and this is WSJ's Take on the Week, the show where we break down the most important things to watch in business and financial news. We cut through the noise to get you ready for what matters. Last week, the S&P 500 suffered its fourth weekly loss in a row and is on its worst losing streak since March, erasing almost the entirety of the summer's stock gains. The yield on 10-year U.S. government debt touched the highest level since 2007. Bond yields rising means prices are falling. That is pushing up the value of the dollar, raising mortgage rates to new highs, and hitting tech stocks especially hard. There are a lot of questions about the market right now, and they all come back to the Federal Reserve. Fed Chair Jerome Powell told investors at the central bank's meeting late last month that he likes what he's seeing from data on employment and inflation. That was surprising, given that job growth is slowing and inflation is rising. With that in mind, this week we get the Labor Department's jobs report. We'll talk to a former Fed staffer about what the Fed is thinking. And as labor strikes continue around the U.S., we're going to talk about what's happening in Detroit and why stock buybacks are playing a major role in the beef between management and labor in the UAW's work stoppage at the big three automakers. But first, let's talk about beer. Constellation Brands, which owns the most popular beer brand in the U.S., reports earnings this week. The company's Modelo brand recently dethroned Bud Light as America's favorite draft, after Bud Light had held the top spot since 2001. But if you aren't familiar with Constellation Brands, don't worry, you're not alone. Constellation Brands is not a traditional brewer. The company is known more for wine and spirits. It landed Grupo Modelo, which includes the brands Modelo, Pacifico, and Corona, in 2013, when U.S. antitrust authorities pushed Budweiser owner AB InBev to sell the rights to those companies in the U.S. Some might call it a stroke of luck. Before Modelo became a huge success story, Constellation lost big betting on marijuana. The company said last year that it had reduced the estimated value of its stake in cannabis grower Canopy Growth by more than $1 billion, about a quarter of its total investment. Constellation Brands did not respond to a request for comment. There have been a lot of headlines about why Bud Light's sales declined, but we haven't heard much about why Modelo is now king of the hill. Here to talk about that is deputy editor of Heard on the Street, the journal's financial analysis column, Aaron Back. Aaron, you picked Constellation Brands in the Heard on the Street stock picking contest as the stock you think will have the best performance over the next year. Why do you like this stock so much? Well, there's two reasons. There's the kind of obvious reason and the less obvious reason. The obvious reason is they sell Modelo beer in the U.S., which is the top-selling beer right now, having surpassed Bud Light. 
The second thing is a little more complicated and less obvious, but basically this was a family-controlled company until last year. And last year, they set in motion some sort of management reforms so that the family that controlled the company gave up control and they brought in more professional management. And that should make the stock more attractive because they've made some kind of big errors in the past, despite their success with the Mexican beers. They made a big investment in a Canadian cannabis company that didn't work out, cost them over a billion dollars. And so not only do they have a great series of products, but they also now have better management. And when you put those two things together, I think it's a recipe for the stock to go up. Mm. Most people have probably heard that Modelo has now become the most popular beer in the U.S., but how did that happen? And why does that story give you confidence in Constellation brand stock? The longer-term story is that Mexican beers have just been trendy, kind of started in California, Texas, areas where there's a big Hispanic population, but it's extended well beyond that now. And there's also things like people add seasonings and spice to Mexican beers. It's kind of a cultural thing in Mexico to do that. That's mm -hmm. becoming more popular. And the interesting thing about the beer world is these trends tend to last years and years and years. So, I mean, the microbrew trend lasted quite a while, right? Maybe 20 years. Right. And it tends to yeah, be about... Yeah, 20 years too long, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I mean... I love microbrews. I hate IPAs. That's, that's my thing. That's a perfectly valid opinion. Point is, people are very slow to change what they drink. They get used to drinking a certain kind of beer and they stick with it. And so Budweiser was the top selling beer in the United States for around 20 years. It was surpassed by Bud Light. And now... Bud Light's been dethroned and Modelo Especial is a top selling beer. So this isn't just like a flash in the pan kind of thing is part of my thesis for why I like the stock, right? This is a trend that is likely to have legs. They've added new board members and uh, they have an activist investor called Elliott Management, which has a pretty good track record now investing in them, which is a vote of confidence in the new management. So you're just likely to see slightly more disciplined management going forward. And that can only be positive for the stock. Okay, so we've got Constellation Brands expected to report their earnings this week. What's the thing you're looking for in the earnings report that will make you and stockholders feel very good about making Constellation Brands your stock pick? The thing that moves the stock is a metric called depletions, which is a measure of uh, the extent to which distributors are selling to their end customers premises like bars and restaurants and retailers. So mm -hmm. depletions is, is the key measure of how much demand there is for their beers, essentially. So everyone is really just looking at Modelo depletions, which last quarter were around 5% growth. If that continues, that'll be positive for the stock. If that's slowed, it could be negative. Less obvious things to look at, some of their other beer brands, like Pacifico, are those continuing to grow strongly? To me, that would be a very positive sign. And the final thing that I'm interested in is if they are going to provide some more news about what they're planning to do with the rest of their portfolio, which hasn't been as strongly performing. They have some really good wine brands. They have some not so good wine brands. Same on the liquor side. And I'm wondering now, there's kind of new management in place, if there's going to be new strategies for those segments, not just beer. And if that happens, I think that could be an additional positive catalyst that people aren't even thinking about. That was WSJ Heard on the Street Deputy Editor Aaron Back. Coming up, we're looking ahead to the U.S. Jobs Report this week. We'll talk with former Fed staffer and economist Danielle DiMartino Booth about what to watch as the U.S. economy could be poised to enter a new phase. 
This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. It is jobs report week. We are expecting the government's September payrolls report on Friday. And on Tuesday, we should get the Labor Department's JOLTS report, a more comprehensive look at the jobs market that includes a larger sampling of companies and the number of monthly hires, separations, and quits from August. The U.S. has an unemployment rate near record lows and strong consumer spending that is putting the economy on track to grow by 5% year over year in the third quarter, according to the Atlanta Fed. But my next guest says that if you look at the economy more closely, there are some serious problems. Danielle DiMartino Booth is the CEO and chief strategist at QI Research and a former researcher at the Dallas Fed. She is predicting a recession for the U.S. economy in the coming months. Why? Danielle points to the rising number of people over 55 coming back into the workforce because they can't afford to retire. She's looking at a major uptick in defaults and delinquencies for U.S. companies, and she sees a bigger wave of defaults coming. Danielle says it all comes back to the Fed and Chair Jerome Powell's efforts to take control of monetary policy away from Wall Street and put it back in the hands of central bankers. She says the stock market is starting to sniff this out. The Fed declined to comment. It's important to note that almost all of the major Wall Street banks predicted there would be a recession this year, and it hasn't happened yet. Danielle joins me now. Danielle, we are seeing the number of unemployed people rise, and we're seeing the number of job postings decline, and the Fed says that that's a good thing. Can you explain to us this thinking? Well, the thinking is a little off, because if you think about the makeup of the jolts data that Chair Powell references over and over and over again. There are still too many job openings for every American. So even though we've seen inflation turn tail and now we have disinflationary forces working their way through the economy and things that are discretionary in nature are getting hit really hard. Essential inflation is still very high, hitting Americans where it hurts. But discretionary inflation has really turned around. Talk to me about what you mean by that discretionary versus... Well, we have to buy things. Those are called essentials. Those Mm -hmm. are non-discretionary purchases. And the inflation for those things, A, it's latent and built up, right? You're still paying way more for a gallon of milk than you did before the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And now we've got gasoline prices that are really high. Utilities, car insurance, homeowners insurance... The things that we have no choice but to pay for, Mm -hmm. the price of these essentials has gone way up. 97% of the U.S. population is living in a state where continuing jobless claims are steadily rising. It's no longer seven degrees of separation or five degrees of separation. Now you know somebody who knows somebody who's lost their job. And people are starting to talk about it more. Mm -hmm. And this is prior to the UAW strike. 
But let's back it up because when people look at the jobs report, they're still seeing 100,000, over 100,000 mm-hmm. jobs added. Sure. When people look at the inflation data, they're seeing it coming back down now mm-hmm. below 4%, down from 8 9% previously. And you've got Chair Powell characterizing recent data as what we want to see. So how is that happening? What's going on? Well, it's really a confluence of events. It's the slow nature of the job losses that we're seeing. It's the seven in a row job market reports that have been revised downwards. Mm -hmm. Unemployment is the most lagging of all economic data. Mm -hmm. So every time we get big, deep revisions out, we say, oh, my gosh, wait, the the private sector created 358,000 fewer jobs than what was first reported. Now, that's the kind of stuff us wonky, geeky economists follow that the rest of America, they don't see. Mm. And yet that's what we're seeing. We're seeing one downward revision after another. And it suits Powell just fine that as far as the public is concerned, the unemployment rate is still below 4% and inflation is falling. It's a Goldilocks narrative. It defines soft landing. It's all of these things. And yet the cat's starting to get out of the bag because households are realizing that things just aren't as good as what they're being told they are. Hmm. And you've got people starting to repay student loans. That's actually the next question I was going to ask you, because we're going to see that resumption of student loan payments. How do you expect that to affect this overall narrative? It's going to hurt a cohort we don't talk about very much. Hmm. It's millennials who left the city when the pandemic hit. They bought a house. They have a mortgage payment for the first time. They have a car payment for the first time. They're Googling property tax because they want to know who the bad guy is. Their homeowner's insurance is going up. They make between $100,000 and $225,000 a year. And according to the Census Bureau for 2022, that places them in the second highest income earning quintile. If you add them to the top quintile, The two together are responsible for 61% of U.S. consumption. Now, Mm -hmm. I bring up this detail because it's the people who make between $100,000 and $225,000 who do not qualify for student loan relief. They're the ones who surprised the country and started repaying them in August because they knew that interest was going to resume in September. Mm -hmm. The people who cannot avoid repaying them, that begins in October. You're going to see household bankruptcies go through the roof. It's going to be biblical. So as we step back, right, let's talk about what we've got coming up this week, because we get the jobs report, the job openings and labor turnover survey, and we get the non-farm payrolls report, a.k.a. the jobs report. What are you looking to see from that? What are the numbers that are going to tell you, okay, things are going towards this particularly bad place or maybe, okay, things aren't as bad as I thought? I'm going to be paying attention to number of hours worked. Because companies fought so hard after the pandemic to get employees that they're working the ones that they have harder, Mm -hmm. like squeezing more out of them. But yet our work weeks come back way below pre-pandemic levels. I'm going to be looking for an eighth consecutive month of revisions. And then the next time we talk, we can say, gee, that was unprecedented in U.S. history. 2023 is coming out to be quite the year. That was Danielle DiMartino Booth, CEO and chief strategist of research and analytics firm QI Research. When we come back, I'll talk to one of my colleagues who's covering the United Auto Workers strike in Detroit about why stock buybacks have become a sticking point in the negotiations. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs, drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight 
starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. All right, one more thing before we get out of here. I want to talk about stock buybacks. The United Auto Workers strike against GM, Ford, and Jeep maker Stellantis continues. So I had a conversation with my colleague Nora Eckert, who covers the auto industry in Detroit. I asked her about the role these companies' stock prices had played in the disputes. And here's what she had to say. Employees at the big three do get profit sharing, but Sean Fain, the union president, has said that's not enough, that the company should be sharing more than it is, that the CEOs are seeing too much of that pie and the workers aren't seeing enough. They want a bigger slice. One of the key sticking points here has actually been stock buybacks, which Sean Fain calls a scheme to make the rich richer. You have a few million dollars there that you can spend on our wages and our benefits. So that has been a tension point between the union and the companies during this point in the talks. The UAW has a profit-sharing agreement with companies like Ford and GM. Workers at those companies receive $1,000 for every billion dollars in profit their employer earns. But what they don't currently have, and what the union's leaders are now proposing, is stock price appreciation sharing. Union leaders have said that most CEOs and top executives who make decisions about how companies spend their money earn most of their compensation from stock awards. So the higher the stock price goes the more money they make. For example, when Ford stock rose by 136 percent in 2021, CEO Jim Farley's total compensation rose by 93 percent. That brought Farley's total compensation to $22.8 million. The median Ford employee's total compensation that year rose by around 4 percent, according to the company's proxy statements. That brought the median employee's total take-home pay to $64,003. Farley went from taking home 191 times what his average employee did in 2020 to taking home 356 times what his average employee did in 2021. I reached out to Ford, GM, and Stellantis. Ford and GM did not respond. Stellantis declined to comment. Lots of employees and union leaders across the country have seen CEOs and other top executives grow their wealth by millions, and in some cases billions, of dollars, thanks to the booming stock market of the last few years. While during the same time, the average American has been seeing net wage losses when adjusted for inflation. Ford and GM aren't expected to report earnings until the end of the month. So this week, I'll be watching Ford's monthly sales report, which is expected on Tuesday. And I'll be watching the way Ford's stock responds. I have no doubt that union leaders and top executives of the big three automakers will be watching as well. And that's everything you need to know to take on the week for Sunday, October 1st. The show is produced by Jessica Jupiter. Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers. Michael also wrote our theme music. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. For even more, head to WSJ.com. I'm Dion Rabowin. Stay smart. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, 
just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. They just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. Coming soon from the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.